Hola compadres. I'm Jim Cornelius, the host of this Frontier Partisans podcast. I'm also the keeper of the blog at FrontierPartisans.com. I don't usually introduce myself at the beginning of a podcast, but this next podcast series, for which this is the introduction, requires a little bit of a personal introduction. This next series I'm calling Once Upon a Time in Los Angeles. I was born and raised in the northern suburbs of Los Angeles, a town called La Crescenta, to be exact. And uh, my wife Marilyn and I left Southern California for Oregon in 1993, 29 years ago. So I've actually spent more of my life in Oregon than I did in LA yet part of me still thinks of LA as home, which is probably the way most of us think about the place that we grew up. Folks are sometimes taken aback a bit when they hear that I come from LA, because in their mind I don't look like someone from LA. They see the hat and the boots and find out about my country music obsessions and my frontier obsessions and it doesn't fit with their mental picture of a person from LA which I guess is the stereotypical la-la land of freeways and, and Hollywood where everyone is working on a screenplay. And a journalist named Emmett Renson pretty viciously but also pretty accurately skewered that stereotypical LA. Los Angeles is the culmination of every bad trend of the 20th century. Cars and freeways, mass media and vanity. Suburbia. Playing chicken with the water in a desert. LA hasn't been aspirational since the Beach Boys song. Okay, that hurts. But like I said, it's accurate as far as it goes. I did bump up against that stereotypical version of L.A. a couple of times, usually with fairly amusing results. Um, I have never had as many people say, do you know who I am? Or do you know who I work for? As I did when I was living and working in L.A., But for the most part, my Los Angeles was something different than that. I grew up right against the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains and the Angeles National Forest. And that really did shape me. My folks had a cabin in a little mountain town at the end of the Angeles Crest Highway called Wrightwood. So I really grew up running around in the woods. We went there virtually every weekend when I was young and uh, spent my dad's two weeks of, of vacation there. And uh, so it was more than, than a home away from home. It was really home to me. And uh, that was my, my world that, uh, that I could pretend was the frontier. My friends and I frequently strung together these epic 20-mile hikes in in very rugged mountains, which were, those hikes were typically capped by getting drunk at the Yodeler in Wrightwood. Uh, 
if we wanted something bigger, we could drive three hours or so and go climb Mount Whitney or hike out of Independence in the Owens Valley up over Kearsarge Pass in, in the High Sierras. Incidentally, you didn't want to show too obviously that you were from Los Angeles uh, when you when you stopped in Independence because L.A. stole the Owens Valley's water in the first part of the 20th century and Owens Valley folks were still pissed off about it in the 1980s and, and early 90s when I was doing that sort of thing. That was, those mountains, uh, the San Gabriels I'm talking about, um, they were really spectacular. I mean, people don't think of, uh, of Los Angeles as uh, a mountainous place, and it's not. It's a basin, but th- that basin full of 14 million people was right on the edge of these really rugged, steep mountains with deep canyons. And, and boy, if you got off the Angeles Crest Highway about a quarter mile, you could hike for a day and scarcely see anybody. Although on one memorable occasion, we ran into a Japanese guy running up this incredibly steep slope that we were going down. And uh, it seemed like he was hardly even breathing hard. And we hated him and we hated ourselves a little bit in that moment. But it was really, really rugged and pretty wild territory. right there on, on the edge of a basin that was, was full of, of freeways and cars and millions of people. Back then, there were plenty of places to go shooting out in the mountains and in the desert. And I haunted the Gene Autry Western Heritage Museum, which is now called the Autry Museum of the American West in Griffith Park. And that was a, a wonderful place to explore frontier history, both frontier history and frontier myth, because it focused also on the creation of the Western myth and, and movies, obviously with the association with, with Gene Autry and, uh, and Hollywood in general. The Palomino Club in North Hollywood and the Crazy Horse Saloon in Santa Ana were two of the best country music venues in America, uh, in their heyday, at least. And uh, I once saw Emmylou Harris and the Nash Ramblers at the Crazy Horse, maybe 15 feet from the stage, one of the most memorable shows out of many, many memorable shows that I've seen. So what I'm getting at is that there was a lot to love about that life in Southern California, the kind of life that, that I was trying to create for myself. I probably would have never left, except that the place just got too damn crowded and too damn constrained. All the open areas for shooting got closed down, and the feds imposed a a permit system to climb Mount Whitney. And uh, my understanding is that, uh, well, I know that the Palomino Club and the Crazy Horse in Santa Ana aren't even there anymore. I guess that there is a version of the Crazy Horse Saloon somewhere else, but uh, it's not the Crazy Horse Saloon. Uh, Big impetus for leaving was the Rodney King riots in 1992. They were a really ugly thing, and... 
they made Marilyn and I both think long and hard about the prospect of, of raising a family in the city. Uh, we got engaged in November of 1992 and, and married in June of 1993. And uh, we really just didn't want to raise our family there, or even on the edges of the, of the city. So we took the Oregon Trail north, and, and when I hit Ventura in my little Toyota pickup truck, I punched in a cassette of Guy Clark singing, if I could just get off of this L.A. freeway without getting killed or caught. And, uh, you know, we were down the road in a, in a cloud of dust for sure. But I can't claim that I never looked back, and, and that's what I'm doing now. I have frequent bouts of nostalgia for uh, a Los Angeles that, that's partly the, the place that I, I grew up in, and I think we all you know, have fond memories of, of the place where we became who we are, but... Uh, it's not just that. There's a, a, a little bit of a, of a mythic imagination that goes into it. Uh, it's a strange and, and compelling place. I don't have any regrets. I'm very happy that, that we made the decision that we did and that we came north to Oregon and we made a great life for ourselves and raised our daughter in a town which is a great place to raise a kid. Um, so I don't have any regrets for the decisions, but there's always that little pang of, of nostalgia for the, uh, for the old Southland. But this podcast series isn't an exercise in nostalgia, or at least not just an exercise in nostalgia. Los Angeles had a real deal frontier history. Again, that's something that people don't usually think about when they think about the history of Los Angeles. I mean, when they think of old Los Angeles, they think of old Hollywood maybe, but not, not the 19th century frontier Los Angeles when it was just a, a dusty Pueblo with 1,500 people in it. But the frontier history there is real. It's just buried under acres of cement in what the L.A. writer D.J. Waldy called the landscape of amnesia, which is a great term because it absolutely hits the X-ring of what L.A. is all about. When I was a, a kid, my, my mother got a bee in her bonnet to visit all of the, the missions in California, and uh, particularly the, the missions in the L.A. area we visited several times. That was actually the only California history that, that we ever got in, in school, too. And, and I really wasn't particularly interested in Spanish California or the missions, except that I found out that mountain men like Kit Carson and Ewing Young and Jedediah Smith had stayed at the Mission San Gabriel in the 1820s after they made brutal crossings of the Mojave Desert which, you know, I've driven across many times, and the idea of, of trekking across that desert on horseback is pretty intimidating. But I remember my excitement, you know, in, in visiting Mission San Gabriel and thinking, you know, Jedediah Smith walked through that door. And again, not something you think of with Los Angeles in particular, but uh, 
mountain, a lot of mountain men came through there, actually. And in 1854, a mountain man named Andy Sublette, who was the brother of William and Milton Sublette, who were very important figures in the Rocky Mountain fur trade, he was staying in Los Angeles and was mauled to death by a grizzly bear in Malibu. And it just doesn't get any more frontier partisan than that. There's a reason that there's a grizzly bear on the California flag. The place was full of them. And those Santa Monica Mountains in the, in the Malibu area, that was a really, really wild place. So, you know, I get kind of a kick out of the idea that, uh, you know, 100 years, 150 years ago, I guess more than that even now, um, but in the 19th century, this this place was so wild, and now the uh, the beautiful people of Malibu are are exercised about uh, trying to keep their beaches from being uh, accessed by <laughs> the the proletarians. Um, maybe you should sick a, a grizzly bear on them. But uh, wild country, very very wild country. I remember going out to. Malibu, when my friend uh, Sean Graziano got into to surfing, um, I never got into surfing, but I'd take a, a boogie board out there and, and uh, you know, going out into the surf and, and looking back at the shoreline and, and imagining back into the days when grizzly bears haunted those canyons. And uh, that was an exercise that, that I did fairly frequently in, uh, in my younger days in LA, trying to conjure up those old ghosts. One of those ghosts is the California bandit, uh, Tiburcio Vasquez. And uh, he'll be the subject of one of the podcasts of this series, the manhunt for Tiburcio Vasquez that took place in Los Angeles in 1874. And he was chased by a sheriff's posse through canyons and washes like Arroyo Seco, which is near Pasadena, where Marilyn used to ride horses when she was a, a girl, and the Tohunga Canyons, a little bit to the north and west, where I hiked as a teenager. And uh, Vasquez was eventually captured on a rancho that lies not very far from what's now the Sunset Strip, um, Melrose Place. Again, I just get a kick out of that. The you know you think of all of the the, the stereotypical aspects of, of Los Angeles and the, the Hollywood folk and and they're they're walking the streets and driving their cars past the place where Tiburcio Vasquez uh, was finally cornered and and shot and wounded and captured. Davy Brown who was a survivor of the notorious Glanton gang of Blood Meridian fame, was lynched in downtown L.A. for killing a man named Pinckney Clifford, one of many, many people of a variety of ethnicities that were lynched in Los Angeles, where lynch law was the law for a good chunk of time. In the 1850s, Los Angeles was absolutely the wildest of wild west towns it was wilder by far than dodge city or abilene or even deadwood or any of those places ever were and uh 
1850 and 51, Los Angeles had the highest per capita murder rate that has ever occurred in the United States anywhere throughout its history, which is, uh, that's saying a lot for one thing, and, and it's a remarkable thing. And, and most of those murders took place in, uh, along one street called Calle de los Negros, which, uh, which is also known as Negro Alley or a, a harsher version of, of that moniker, uh, which was, it wasn't a red light district because there was no per se district for, for vice, but it was where uh, there were tons of uh, bars and brothels and, and uh, young men uh, liquored up and horny, and that tends to lead to mayhem. And boy, it sure did, especially in the, the early part of the 1850s. But really, up and through the middle part of the 1870s, Los Angeles was a very wild and dangerous place. To bastardize the great Los Angeles writer of a later period, Raymond Chandler, down these mean streets men must go except they weren't men who were not themselves mean or, or the best man in the street or in any room. They were just young, often drunk, usually horny, men who were armed to the teeth with bowie knives and cap and ball revolvers. The men who made up the society of Gold Rush era Los Angeles, most of them came out of honor cultures, Many were from Mexico um, or other uh, Central or South American countries. There were a lot of Chileans in, uh, in California during the, the gold rush as well. Um, and many of the, the white Americans that, uh, that migrated there and, and many that ended up in Los Angeles were from the American South. Again, honor cultures, and they readily resorted to, to violence. And uh, this was remarked upon... At the time, uh, and I'm going to read you a passage from John MacFarger's excellent book, Eternity Street, uh, quoting John A. Lewis of the Los Angeles Star, who wrote, There is no brighter sun, no milder clime, no more equable temperature, no scenes more picturesque, no greener valleys, no fairer plains in the wide world than those we may look upon here. There is no country where nature is more lavish of her exuberant fullness, and yet with all our natural beauties and advantages, there is no country where human life is of so little account. Men hack one another to pieces with pistols and other cutlery, as if God's image were of no more worth than the life of one of those two or three thousand ownerless dogs that prowl about our streets and make night hideous. So, as Farragher notes, L.A. Noir got off to an early start. One of my musical heroes, songwriter and Stratocaster slinger Dave Alvin, is a fourth-generation Californian. And uh, he's a history guy. In fact, when he was here in Sisters, Oregon for the Sisters Folk Festival, had a really delightful time talking about California frontier history with him, and uh, he's very knowledgeable about it. He wrote a great song called Murrieta's Head, 
which uh, I'll I'll post on the on the FrontierPartisans.com blog. But anyway, he's he's really steeped in an, in a Los Angeles that that is completely outside the spill of the the neon lights from uh, the Man Chinese Theater or any other part of of Hollywood. And uh, in an LA Times story. He described the way landscapes of his youth were bulldozed and paved over in L.A.'s relentless, ruthless quest for development. There is no no place else in the world that is more committed to paving everything with cement. But something that, that Dave said in that interview really resonates with my mission for these next few podcasts. He said, if you can't go back to that landscape, the orange groves or the stands of oak or whatever, the stories you tell can fill in some of that landscape. I think people are looking to tell those stories. It's like ripping up cement. So I guess what I'm, at, I'm doing here is inviting you to join me and rip up some cement and rattle the bones of the frontier partisan history that lies beneath it. I'd like to thank the Frontier Partisan patrons who make all of this possible. And uh, if you're interested in supporting Frontier Partisans through our Patreon page, there's a link in the show notes. I'd like to thank Ash, Harry Kaiser, Mike McIver, Wade McKnight, Chaz Clifton, Bob Dice, Alan Godseff, Jerry Nunnally, Christopher West, Paul McNamee, David Rolson, and Rick Schwertfeger. And in particular, in uh, this context, I'd like to thank Matt Eilesman. Um, he, uh, he goes under the handle Free Live Free on, uh, on Patreon, and uh, he just contributed a review of Horace Bell's Reminiscences of a Ranger, Early Times in Southern California, to the Frontier Partisans blog, and uh, I'm, I'm gratified that he read and, and enjoyed the, the work, and Bell's book is part of the reason that I'm doing this uh, series of podcasts, because it's one of my very favorite Frontier memoirs of a young man uh, who showed up in, in Los Angeles in, in the 1850s and, and saw and experienced many of the... Uh, of the events that uh, that we'll cover in this podcast series. So read Matt's piece. It's, uh, it's worth your time. And uh, so just a little extra hat tip to him. And uh, again, I will include a link, as I always do, in the show notes if you'd like to, uh, to throw down a little gold dust to, uh, to help keep the campfire burning here at, uh, at FrontierPartisans.com. And we'll see you down the trail.